And so, yeah, we, we, we've taken out forested area or meadows or prairies that often are cooler than urban areas because then we replace it with asphalt, which absorbs and retains a, a lot of heat uh, from the sun um, and then releases it back out over time. Welcome to Growing Impact, a podcast by the Institutes of Energy and the Environment at Penn State. Growing Impact explores cutting-edge projects of researchers and scientists who are solving some of the world's most challenging energy and environmental issues. Each project has been funded through an Impactful Seed Grant program that's facilitated through IEE. I'm your host, Kevin Slotkin. Trees in cities have multiple positive effects, from shade and cooling to higher property values and improved mental health. But the situation is far more challenging than simply saying, plant more trees. On this episode of Growing Impact, I speak with Travis Floor, who, along with his team, is investigating the barriers cities could encounter when designing and planning urban forests. The team is also exploring if these plans for urban forests are enough to impact the urban heat island as climate change continues to intensify. Welcome, Travis, to Growing Impact. Hello to everyone. Um, I'm Travis Floor, and I'm an assistant professor in the Department of Landscape Architecture here at Penn State. I'm a bit of a designer, but I'm also, I have a planning background, and so I deal with some policy as well. But my research tackles how to help communities and households adapt or manage, also mitigate impacts of extreme weather events and the degradation of ecosystems, mostly to ensure that they, they still get those benefits and services that they've had the privilege of having in the past um, into the future, such as clean air, water. Um, but really, in particular, where I focus is urban microclimates and urban heat island effect. Regrettably, my team couldn't be here, uh, so I want to ensure that I recognize their contributions. And so I'd like to thank Lillard Richardson, Margaret Hoffman, Hong Wu, Justin, Justine Lindemann, Mehdi Harris, and Laura Garcia. Let's talk about these urban forests. Could sure. you describe an urban forest and talk to us a little bit about why they're in decline? Yeah, there's a lot of different ways in which we can define an urban forest and they come in all all different shapes and sizes um, so similar to, to non-urban forests, it could be patches of actual forested land that are within an urban environment um, so at, a, at its most straightforward it's it's that um, but more broadly when you talk about urban forests you also talk about the the whole network of systems of of different kinds of trees and ways in which trees are represented in the in cities so it could be yeah forested or woodlands it could be just groups of trees in parks um, it could also be individual trees located um, in urban areas it could be parking lots uh, street trees and and for the decline component yeah so i should for, just ask the question <laughs> are they in decline Generally, yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, every city's different, of course, but generally speaking, they they are in decline. Um, and a lot of uh, previous researchers uh, ha have documented this, and they've really dug out the detail into the details of why. Um, some of it is just land development. You know, you have a urban or vacant land that has a urban woodlot on it. And, you know, you clear it out to put in more commercial or housing. And so some of it is just the change of the urban environment and the development that happens. Um, but 
also increasingly it's uh, disease and pest. And so things like uh, the Dutch elm disease has wiped out large swaths of elm trees, which were fantastic urban trees. So of course, cities planted a lot of them. Um, and sadly, you know, they're, 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 they have been and are being decimated. Uh, we have things like the emerald ash borer. Um, and so a lot of our sort of go-to urban trees that are aesthetically beautiful, long-lived, big shade, uh, big amounts of shade. Uh, they're just disease and pests. <laughs> um, also, uh, urban environments tough for things to grow in. Um, they often aren't given the soil volume they need to thrive. And so they, they struggle from day one. And so they're just often not as long lived as trees typically would be in a sort of more open, rural, uh, large soil volume environment. It's really that impervious surface because um, they need a, well, impervious surface pipes, utilities, buildings, <laughs> foundations. Um, but yeah, they, they really need uh, the water, you know, infiltrating into roots and impervious surfaces, you know. Um, pre prevent that. Um, it's also the air and gas exchange that, that soils have in order for healthy um, soil activity and, and, and microorganisms and, and things that sort of have that symbiotic relationship with with trees to help them thrive. Um, and yeah, a lot of the urban pavement and environment just just covers that all up. So you had, or have, I should say, an IEE seed grant project called Connecting Policies to Actions for Creating Just, Biodiverse, and Climate Resilient Urban Forests. Could yeah. you provide just a little bit of a, a, a brief abstract and a little bit of the goal of the project? Sure. Uh, we A lot of community uh, cities and communities, and we're, we're working in Pittsburgh, have amazing uh, tree plans. And so um, I have to give credit to Tree Pittsburgh. They're doing a fantastic job with sort of setting benchmarks and, and trying to maintain and increase their urban tree canopy. And they're doing a fantastic job. Um, I know some people at Penn State and Penn State Extension, such as uh, Bill Almendorf, were involved in a, in a whole host of other groups uh, as well. And, and they really... They have amazing plan, but sort of our question is um, on the design and planning, because again, I'm, I'm a landscape architect by training and what are sort of the barriers in implementing that, that plan that they have? Because um, we're, we're still not sure, are they hitting their targets and benchmarks? And then there's this other sort of a couple of outstanding questions that we hope to tackle is, is it enough under, under climate change? And in my area in particular, urban heat Island, are these benchmarks enough? And if there are disruptions in trying to achieve that benchmark, what does it do for those benefits that we get um, from, from the urban forest? Uh, can it be maintained? Um, is it radically decreased? And um what what can we do about that? And then often I find, um, having been in professional practice as a designer, we're not sure how the design process works in this uh, regard. And are designers reading and interfacing with this plan? How is that affecting their design decisions on, you know, private development and private properties? Are they 
looking at these benchmarks and biodiversity tar targets and adjusting their designs accordingly. Um, so we, we really want to dive in to, to find out how's this plan being implemented on the ground and, and what are the, the friction points and how might we resolve them mm -hmm. to ensure we have those benefits in the future. Could you define urban heat island for us? The urban heat island is the result of the way in which we develop our urban environments that uh, through the combination of things like concrete, asphalt, brick, the, the types of building materials we use and the uh, replacement or removal of vegetation, often treat vegetation in our, our locale or our state. And so, yeah, we've, we've, we've taken out forested area or meadows or prairies that often are cooler than urban areas because then we replace it with asphalt, which absorbs and retains a, a lot of heat uh, from the sun um, and then releases it back out over time. And so generally speaking, uh, urban heat island is the cities are hotter. They're way hotter than their surrounding environment. And it, it ranges depending on your climate and location, but it can be pretty significant. It's definitely hotter in a different way um, because the, it'll disrupt airflow. It disrupts yeah. weather patterns. And yeah, the, in some cases, you know, they can be a degree, two degrees, you know, up to seven, seven degrees Fahrenheit higher during the day, some places even more so. Um, but then also at night, like when you're trying to sleep and if you don't have air conditioning, right. um, it can be two to five degrees hotter through the night as well. And so you often don't, you also don't get that sort of daily um, heating and cooling because it, the urban environment disrupts that. Could you talk about the benefits of urban forests, including in terms of climate change sure. and biodiversity? So a lot of the benefits uh, are, are increasingly, you know, maybe not a Everyone understands it, but they're becoming pretty widely understood and accepted air quality. Um, so they improve uh, urban air quality. They improve urban uh, water pollution and help sort of control stormwater runoff in, in a variety of ways. Um, they can alter heating and cooling costs even at a building level. And so, you know, if they can reduce the, the microclimate or the urban heat island effect, then we're cooling or uh, our environment less uh, in indoors. Um, they can increase uh, social benefits and economic benefits. Like they, they do increase real estate values. Um, they've been linked to improved physical and mental health. Uh, they've even in some places uh, been associated with reduced crime rates. So there's a long, like a lot, a lot of benefits or, or ecosystem services there. Um, they they can and been shown to increase community and neighborhood pride and active living, uh, helping people get outside, uh, especially when it's warmer because um, of the, the cooling effect of the trees. Um, and, and so where the, the sort of benefits of climate change come in is, is the more we can reduce the need to heat and cool, it's less energy consumption. So that that's a more direct uh, sort of benefit. And then if we get enough of them, um, you know, they can also sequester carbon and other things. And so definitely, definitely help climate change in that regard. The way in which biodiversity comes in is back to that, you know, why, why are they declining? And so we, we don't have those benefits, obviously, or as much of them, or they're not 
being sort of maximized because the forest isn't thriving, often when diversity decreases um, because of things like pests, uh, there are whole neighborhoods that have lost their tree cover. And so now those neighborhoods do not have those benefits, unfortunately, um, without restoring their tree canopy. And if you don't have diversity of ages in there and you lose like a bunch of old uh, trees, you know, it takes a long time to regrow them and sort of get their their full benefits. Do you see a connection between urban forests and equity? Oh, absolutely. Okay. <laughs> and this is something that I, I, it's one of those things that I intuitively knew, but until you really dig into it, you don't really understand the depth of, of how and why. And so sadly, uh, I'll start there. Um, if you mapped urban trees and there, there's some groups, uh, I think, um, yeah, Dexter, there's a, there's a gentleman, I believe named Dexter Locke and, and, and a lot of his associates, they did a residential housing segregation and urban tree canopy across 37 U S cities. And, and there's a whole bunch of others that have done similar work, um, as well. But if but their maps, when they map these urban tree covers, almost lined up exactly with income and race. Uh, and then I say sadly because it's the decades of the discriminatory policies like redlining and the banking industry giving loans and investment in communities of color um, and also in low-income communities that the sparsest um, least amount of tree urban trees are in these neighborhoods. Um, and, and it's just system, it's a systemic thing that has just sort of continued. And, we're, and now we're sort of reckoning with, um, and yeah, it's, it, it's a challenge um, because now um, I know there was uh, some research in Detroit where they, they got the city nonprofit, they had uh, some federal funding, they got some foundational funding, and they were beginning to come in to, to a lot of these communities and started to replant trees. But it really caused concern from the residents because like you, you've been disinvesting in us for so long. What, what are we, what's happening now? They had a lot of questions like, who's maintaining it? Who's responsible for it? I don't have money to help with that, or I don't have time to do that. What if it falls on my house? And so now they're, because of that disinvestment for so long, there's often a lot of questions and, and a lot of skepticism and like, what's going on here and, and how, why are you doing this? And so it, it does suggest that to be equitable, we need to 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 re uh, uh, reintroduce urban forests and street trees in, in these communities. But to do that, we have to really rebuild a lot of community trust as well. And so it's it's not in my mind um, why we use the word just is because it's not go just going back in and planting things, but it's also rebuilding um, relationships and trust and. Um, through community work. Could you give some examples about how you either plan to moving forward or how you have worked with communities in this uh, project? Sure. Um, we are in the process of beginning uh, the, to work with communities. And so to date, we worked a lot on the 
just understanding and describing the urban forests, digging through all the policies and planning documents to get a handle on, you know, what has been done. Uh, and then moving forward, we're going to work with two, possibly three different sort of collections of community groups. Uh, one being the nonprofits, the city government, uh, and the entities that help create this plan to understand how it's going, how it's working, what are the barriers they see, what are they doing for climate change and biodiversity, and if there's any sort of adaptations that they would want to do with the plan and, and sort of dig into why. The other group we want to work with is the designers and planners that are in the sort of private sector or outside of the urban forest planning group <laughs> is the best way, I guess, to put it. Because we want to know what, what are their thoughts on it? How are they managing designing and planning for climate change and urban forests and sort of seeing if the two match up, seeing where there are gaps or barriers. Some of them reading through plans and things we've done so far could be, uh, you know, a client has a certain um, aesthetic vision and they like certain plants. And so they only want certain trees planted, even though they have too many of them in the neighborhood already. And, and so that we would imagine might might be an example of one barrier that we would get from that group that we wouldn't necessarily get from the people writing the, you know, sort of the city level planning um, inform, uh, documents and information. And then the third group are residents because of issues like what happened in Detroit. We want to know their thoughts on the tree plan uh, as well as what are their concerns and barriers and information. Uh, because Pittsburgh is unique in the sense that it's a consortium that has this put this plan together. And it's a consortium led by Tree Pittsburgh that often does a lot of the planting and education and information around the, the urban forests. Whereas, say, a city like New York City, that's... Um, that's part of the city government, official part of the city government. So this is more of a nonprofit, public-private partnership, and they they do a lot of their plantings in that way. So we we wanted to see sort of these two or three groups and how they how they navigate that. All right. So I've read a bit about your results, at least your NASA um, funded project. Sure. And that is related to this seed grant, correct? Yeah. It's it. it there's a lot of future projects that could could roll out of this. And okay. this one has helped with that one um, as well. And so, yeah, so Mehdi and I um, and uh, some of his colleagues at Hunter College in New York, um, and I, I'll have to, you know, give credit to Mehdi. He's made a lot of connections with the New York City Mayor's Office. Um, and I believe uh, it's Jersey City in New Jersey and uh, a lot of different community advocacy groups that are working on urban heat island in, in both locations. Um, and New York City has a lot of metrics and policies in place to increase urban tree canopy, uh, cool roofs, which is another mechanism to cool urban heat environments. Uh, but the question is, you know, we're not exactly sure how we're doing. 
And so we're, we're measuring that, but again, sort of leveraging what we're learning here um, to sort of expand that beyond just the urban forest, but other, other ways to cool, cool the urban environment and begin to build out uh, more focused or, or targeted policies or places for um, intervention and uh, particularly in gearing it towards the most uh, vulnerable. And so of all of New York City, where would investment in cool roofs and um, trees have the largest impact? And so we're, we're, you know, extending the work here in in a number of ways in that project. Ultimately, we we do want to expand to other cities. Uh, so that's another future project because, um, as I mentioned, Pittsburgh's unique. It has a public-private nonprofit sort of partnership that's managing and planning and maintaining the urban forest. Um, where you know, comparing that to say New York City has a lot of different resources and they function differently. It's official. There are some that are private or or they're not addressing it at all. And so we'd love to sort of compare biodiversity. Um, uh, urban forests gain or loss comparing the different approaches to how you manage and, and plan for it or maintain it. And then at the very end, I would love to have a portal, a, a data portal or uh, an analysis portal or a dashboard, if you will, that allows homeowners, um, policymakers, city officials, designers, uh, property managers, that if they're interested in these sorts of issues, they could begin to um, identify where they live um, and say, hey, you know, I am interested in a tree. And so they might click there. And then it produces some information, not just about the benefits of trees, but recommendations even of, oh, well, we notice you live in this neighborhood. And this neighborhood already has a biodiversity issue. So please don't plant these trees <laughs> um, because we want to maintain a healthy forest. Um, because I think some of the reason we run into those sort of traps, particularly as a designer, um, is we just don't know sometimes. We don't know what's around us. We can only look out so far. We, we often for every project can't survey the whole neighborhood. And um, having something like that available, I think, would make decision-making at a, at a range of levels from the individual to, to community or city just a little bit easier. Thanks, Travis, for spending time on Growing Impact and talking about your research. Thanks, uh, Kevin. Thanks for having me. Um, and if anyone should have any questions or would like to follow up with me, feel free to reach out. This has been Season 3, Episode 9 of Growing Impact. To read the transcript from this episode and see images of cities before and after trees, visit the IEE website by going to iee.psu.edu slash podcast. While you're there, you can also learn more about Travis and his research team, find previous podcast episodes, related graphics, and much, much more. Just visit iee.psu.edu slash podcast. Thanks for listening.